0: I mean, if you uh, if you need Bibles, uh, you can you can raise your hand and maybe somebody can grab you got a Bible here. You need a few Bibles here. Uh, that'd be great. <clears throat> we are I just give you guys some ground rules. Um, we ask questions in our local body just so that you know if there's some, something that is off, we can gain clarity together. Um, if there is something specifically that you can ask me, that'd be great. But if it can really edify the body, we encourage you to do that. So I um, just want to free you up in that. Uh, this uh, week, we are continuing our study on ecclesiology. Okay, so we're going to be hitting ecclesiology for another uh, this week and then <clears throat> three more weeks. Uh, then we'll usher in our, our time of celebrating Jesus through uh, the, the celebration of Advent, uh, have our vision time. And then in the new year, we'll be going through a book of the Bible again, which is what we do in our local body. Uh, we're going through the book of Acts. So I'm just giving you a snapshot of what we'll be doing. Uh, we have just spent many weeks uh, in our series of ecclesiology, which, is, which means the study of the church. Uh, we started by talking about what, how, how is the church formed when we talk about creation, new creation, restoration, and where are we in that process between uh, restoration and new creation. And we talked about that. Uh, we've talked about things such as <clears throat> uh, church membership, um, We talked about uh, what does it mean to, man, We we just a ton of stuff, you know. And so uh, this week, uh, it's going to be a hard topic again, uh, church discipline. Uh, That's what we're going to be talking about, okay? I heard some oohs and ahs, wow. And so, um, yeah, and so we're going to talk about church discipline. We talked about church government. uh, And I think church government, church membership, church discipline, uh, they all sort of intertwine together. uh, So I'm excited about uh, bringing all that home through the uh, perspective of church discipline, because this is something that usually, or I've never heard, taught much uh, in the local body, okay? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go, jump right in right now into um, some discussion on church discipline uh, from a biblical perspective. Uh, I want to start by giving some insight on the history of what's happened in our country. Uh, then I just want to uh, really jot down and, and go through the process of proper church discipline uh, church discipline and leadership. We're going to go through a lot of stuff, so I hope you're ready. Uh, you can get your pins out, uh, get your questions ready, and I want to also praise God. that saw um, a brother come in. always have a seat, brother. This is Jonathan. Guys, it looks like he's doing all right. So he was just had a—he's uh, the guy who had the accident. So you can be praising God for him doing okay. Um, yeah, a little clap. We we're, presenti- we're, we're more reformed in our theology, so you do get get—you're not going to get a Pentecostal clap, but you're going to get a reformed clap. All right, let me pray Let me pray for us, and we'll jump right in, okay, guys? Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would speak uh, through me, Lord, that you would help us gain uh, insight into what church discipline is, uh, what it looks like uh, in our local community, in our local context, what it looks like from your scriptures, and that we would be informed by that, Lord, and that you would uh, just have your way and be worshiped. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Again, church discipline is a crazy topic because we are in a culture and in a world where to talk about discipline makes absolutely no sense because we are our own guys. We do our own thing. And how dare someone tell us what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Okay. And that, and, and, and that's and that let alone uh, for me to get in trouble for what I do. Right. Or for there, for there to be a consequence um, for what I do. Uh, that's just, that's just outside of our, our framework. I mean, it hasn't always been that way. Uh, In church discipline, though, Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But what I want to do first is give us a working definition of what we mean when we say church discipline. So we're all on the same page and then we can kind of sort of build our house um, based on the definition. I would say a working definition, as it were, when I say church discipline. And the reason why this is important for our local expression, if you're a visitor, because we we feel it's very important as we continue to uh, be the church in this community that we pause and we spend many weeks asking ourselves, what does it mean when we say be the church? and so that's why we're going through these different topics and that's why this is very important. So hopefully, even if you're a visitor uh, coming in late a little bit, this will really encourage you to ask yourself, what am I meaning when I say church? What am I meaning when I talk about wanting to be a part of a church and how important that is and that you would you would see I have a passion to want to to want to inform yourself biblically and not just sort of conjure up what you think church should be and go in light of that, which is what I sadly think we do. Uh, In a lot of in a lot of churches, we just kind of get passionate people who love the Lord, but we never pause and say, how do we build this church based on exactly what the Lord has given us as far as some of those freedom frameworks? So that's our heart here. Working definition is this. The corrective measures taken by an individual or church or leaders, church leaders or the congregation regarding a matter of sin uh, in the life of a believer. Okay. So the corrective measures. Taken by an individual, church leaders, or organization regarding a matter of sin in the life of a believer. So you you got all kind of loaded words there. First, you got the, you got the issue of sin uh, that, is, that seemingly in this, in this patch, in, in this working definition, is saying it has to be addressed in the life of a believer, again, which is countercultural, right? Uh, in our culture today, uh, we, have, we, have, we have changed even the concept of sin. And we've done this in a lot of churches, right, where people don't even sin anymore, Right. People just have baggage uh, or, you know, they have, you know, they have past issues um, or they have habits. um, Right. But we we we're very nervous to call things sin, uh, even in the local church these days. Okay, so this is so this this is sort of like ruffles our feathers a little bit. Uh, Let me try and give you sort of just a deconstruction of what's happened in our culture, though. I want to propose to you hasn't always been this way. Church discipline was totally assumed uh, in antiquity, and in fact, uh, when we went through uh, the, the, the concept of the marks and the nature of the church, I don't know if you remember that a few weeks ago, one of the main marks of the church uh, in, 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 in years of the 1600s even, uh, in the Belgian Confession, one of the marks, the, one of the main three marks was church discipline. So it was normative of way back when, right, a few hundred years ago. You get to the 19th century, uh, church discipline is still around. It's still kind of normative. Uh, when you look at different files and books, you would see that many churches had uh, uh, basically uh, uh, some writings on how to handle church discipline, uh, how to go about doing church discipline. Uh, so it was, it was alive and well even in the 19th century. But something happened in the 20th century, and when you get into the 1960s, uh, you see it almost obsolete. There's absolutely – there's almost no discussion of church discipline uh, in just the frameworks of many churches, and so now you get to today, um, and I would even propose, you know when you look at unbelievers who look at the church, a lot of times, especially when I talk to some of my friends, who are unbelievers they 're kind of despised by the church because they see the church as, as too worldly it 's very interesting. That in our minds we think we can gain believe we can gain people and see them ushered into the kingdom by being like them. But what? what but the, but the commentary a lot of times for unbelievers is like, well, I can already be like that without you. And so actually, I, I'm I'm kind of frustrated that y'all are so worldly. It'll be a clear picture if you were distinct and different, holy as you are to be. All right, so. Excuse me. So that's, so, so that's where we're at today, right? Where you have sort of kind of like we're trying, to, we're trying to meet up with, the, have cultural context, but in that we're being more influenced by the culture than being an influence in the culture, and that's why probably church discipline has totally died down. Even the concept of shame, you know, we talk a lot about uh, shame in Christian communities. I'm just bringing up words that are kind of buzzwords in, our, in, in just Christianity and in life. Shame is a huge word in Christianity, and it's a huge no-no word, right? And so, you know, when, if you do something to somebody and someone feels like embarrassed or whatever, automatically it's shameful or it's shame and you're shaming me. And so we're very scared to shame people. And so we think shame necessarily is a bad word. But I, as I, as I study the scriptures, it seems like there's two kinds of shames and shame in itself isn't bad. It seems that the Bible disagrees with that. So I want to challenge you today. Because when you hear the word shame, do you think automatically bad? I want to propose that the Bible says there's two kinds of shames. There is an unjustified shame, and there's a justified shame. So fact check me on that. Think of passages when he talks about godly sorrow leading to repentance, right? Is that you have unjustified shame, meaning that you feel bad for something that you've done or said, and it actually has not hindered uh, God or his ways, right? So that, that you've been a part of something, and you feel like, man, I feel bad about that, I feel, I feel horrible, but you have not defamed in any way God's name. You haven't done anything to the glory of God. I propose that the Bible sees that as unjustified shame, whereas justified shame is when you do something that actually hurts the heart of God. It's when you do something that is sinful, and you do something where, where God's name is, is uh, what would you say, reproached. I propose that the Bible says, actually, you shouldn't feel bad for that. Now, both can be dangerous, right? Because both focuses in on God, and what we do is we focus in on ourselves, and that's what makes it dangerous. But I can't talk about that right now. I just wanted to give you an example of how culture has changed certain words where we've sort of backed off. And because of that, we're scared to even deal with some of the areas of sin. We feel like, oh, my goodness, well, I shouldn't feel shame of my, for my sin. I shouldn't feel bad for sinning. And so all of this, as I would propose, is a, is a deconstruction of our culture to have sin be less on, our ton- on the totem pole so that we can dilute who God is. And therefore, now you kind of make the church kind of just like the world. So when you look at church discipline, I would say the deconstruction of our culture, looking at the ways we look at sin, the ways we look at like just shame, the way we look at. Okay, well, what am I doing to people? I think all of that has, has influenced sort of the, the lack of prophetic voice that we have these days on how do we deal with sin and the whole concept of church discipline. In fact, when we had church discipline happening in this church, I had people who would even say, I've never heard that word before. So this is very important that we talk about this, guys. Now, here's the three realities of church discipline before we, uh, we jump in. There's three realities that I want us to be on the same page of. And that's first, church, church discipline is a very difficult area of doctrine. i want to all just admit that. It's very difficult, okay? And, and practically, church discipline is really hard to practice. So this is a very difficult topic, and it's really difficult to really see it happen on the ground. We can talk about it, but when you start having to do this as a body, and hopefully we won't have to do this much, but if we do as a body... It's difficult, guys. But while it's difficult, while it's, um, it's, very, it's a very difficult area of doctrine, hard to practice, it's clearly from the authority of Scripture. Okay? So just because it's difficult and it's hard to practice doesn't mean we don't practice it. Because it's clear in Scripture that God wants us to be about church discipline as a local body and as expressions all over the world. And we'll talk about why in a moment. So why is church discipline extremely important, right? As you think of the word church discipline, why is it important? On a first share from 1 Peter, it maintains the, gospel, the integrity of the gospel, That church discipline is extremely important because it maintains the integrity of the gospel. Look what it says here. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? And those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see the concept there? See what he says up there? It says judgment starts with us. Right? We have to remain holy. We need to be pure, right? So we can be a clear expression to the world, so don't fret as God is sanctifying and making you whole. Is this point there? In Second Corinthians six seventeen, it talks about this concept of being distinct from the, uh, from the world. That's all throughout the scriptures, right? That God is asking us as the people of God to, to be different. That people should see a difference in us in the way we handle our relationships. Uh, and we were just talking about that in the way we the way we care for other people. The way we sacrifice, look at the scriptures say. Therefore, go out uh, from their midst, talking about uh, those unbelievers, uh, people who are uh, not being holy and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Right? Th- that's all a, uh, uh, just a reminder of that Old Testament language of you are to be the, the set-apart people of God. You are to be set-apart here and be different. So that people can get a clear expression. So if they want to serve Yahweh, if they want to serve the true living God, they know clearly what that looks like. Let's continue on. It um, protects the reflection of God's holiness. Look what it says in Leviticus. So this is, this is a major concept. You, I want to propose to you, you can't even understand the Old Testament without this concept of God being holy and him making us a holy people and asking us to be like him so the world can understand what holiness looks like. You can't even understand the scriptures without that concept. Look what it says. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Right? It says in Deuteronomy Verse 6, chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Why? God can look at you and me. He makes us his people. And the people go, hey, so tell me what does it look like to serve your Yahweh. Oh, I see it. That's how you love your wife. That's how you love your husband. That's how you proclaim him faithfully, Right? So church discipline is very important, guys. I just want you to understand, it maintains the integrity of the gospel. That's why God is calling us to do that. He's calling us to be distinct from the world. He's calling us to reflect him, to to bear his image well. Right? And when we don't, when we act no different, you know, what what happens in our day and age, we lose credibility. Right? Well, how does uh, church discipline, uh, considering that being a reality, how does it fit into sort of formation? Right? How does church discipline fit into what God wants us to be as a people? So uh, let me just try and parse that out. So God, what he does, he, he creates us out of abundance of love. Right? He makes us uh, his people because uh, we, were, we were going and we were, we we're perfect and then we have the audacity to sin. God could have destroyed us. He didn't. Uh, he, he's so gracious. He basically sends Jesus right, to, to conquer sin, death, Satan, and evil. Right? And he makes us his people. And then for what? I want us to see real quick. So he, he builds this church, right? He, he makes us his people. And, and when you think of formation, I think of like, what does it mean to maximize God's glory uh, uh, to the Lord? What does it mean to maximize God's glory? Maximizing God's glory kind of happens in two main ways that has all kind of prongs in it. But for the sake of the argument, uh, first, we would say sort of the ministry of reconciliation, right? Sort of concept of ministry, service, evangelism, right? So we, we do ministry of reconciliation. Um, so that's us reaching out to the world and seeing people become worshipers. The other way we bring glory to God is through this concept of sanctification and edification, right? So these are the ways that we, as his newly created people, are able to brag upon Jesus. This is our posture every day as we do life. So now the other one is we are, we're sanctified. We're made more like him, right? And then we edify others, right? We encourage others to be more like Christ, all right, And we encourage the church to be who we're called to be. All right, so that's, that's, that's the way God brings glory to his name. And actually, church discipline fits into the concept of sanctification and edification, right? And so I want to propose to you that it's a huge prong to what it even mean to bring glory to God. So if you take that out, you are, you are, you are thwarting God's glory. Because one of the ways that he sanctifies, makes us more holy, one of the ways he edifies the church is by surrounding us with people that when we are not being who God has called us to be, they have the freedom and the authority to push us toward Jesus. It's one of the main ways God wants to use his people into being more like him. So what's the goal? Right? That's how it fits in the spiritual formation. But what's the goal of church discipline? As we continue to be the church, as we continue to figure out how to do this thing practically, what's the goal? Well, a couple things. First, we want to we protect the holy character of God, right? You know those verses that we looked at before. It's, again, a theme in the Old Testament, okay? We want to edify and restore the individual. Someone <coughs> falls into sin, like what it says in 2 Thessalonians. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. See, that gets you in trouble these days. Can you imagine me writing that to y'all on an email on Wednesday? I'd be fired by Thursday. Uh, Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. You see that? So it's very clear. That's that's so countercultural. He tells these guys to do this, circulates this around the community. And then he says, but guess what? The goal isn't just to beat somebody up. The goal is always to point people toward Jesus, to restore this guy, to give him to to another avenue and opportunity to maximize joy in his life. That's the goal. The goal is joy. Right? Do not, He says, says woman as a brother. Don't regard him as an enemy. Don't play him. We're doing this because he's our brother. You see that? Another, another goal is, is the Lord is, is desiring to protect the unity and purity of the flock. All right, guys, so protecting God's holy character, which we've looked at that, edifying and restoring a person who's caught in a sin. And the Lord wants to protect the unity of the people of God and the purity of the people of God. Why? Because that reflects him. protect the testimony of the flock, right? I never forget when I was younger, man. I was, you know, I wasn't a believer, you know, just kind of just watching things in my, in my, in my hood. And, and I just remember I was always, I just knew something was wrong because, you know, my mom, you know, would be with this uh, dude, you know, and they'd be smoking weed, kicking it, you know. And then she'd be like, I hear her talking to her friends like, yeah, he has to go to a church meeting, you know, he's a deacon of the church down the street, you know. And I'm thinking, I don't know much. You know what I'm saying? But, huh, I didn't I know they were like that in the church. You know what I'm saying? No deacons was like, you know, sitting and getting high. You know, and, and wait a minute, hold up though. And being, being clear about I'm a deacon. You know what I'm saying? Not even hiding it. And, and then we're in a culture where my mom can talk about it, but not even see how wrong and crazy that is. How do we get there? Do you think that's a clear testimony? You think God goes, yeah, that, I'm, I'm glad you're showing him how I am. I smoke weed. So we, we'll get it right. We'll get it wrong. But here, here's some of our goals, right? Oh, we talked about it last week, um, specifically with leaders. First Timothy 5.20, what does scripture say? One of the goals is to create fear in the rest of the flock. Right? We, again, these are, you know, fear, shame. These are the things we get nervous about. But, but here's the hard thing. When we read the scriptures, we see it all throughout scripture. How do you marry that? It's clear as day. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. When's the last time you've seen that in any church? How many of us, we read that right now, And you just, it's just hard. It's hard to swallow, right? Right? I start talking shame. I'm looking at your eyes and you're like, I love this dude. But you tripping now, pastor. I'm looking at you. This is hitting those cultural bells in your heart. Because God is trying to demythologize you. He's trying to take those myths out of your heart. And say, you're thinking wrong about Jesus. You're thinking wrong about your role in this church you think that people are supposed to just like you and you're supposed to just, you know, be kind and just, you know, just continue to love people into the kingdom. And then you redefine love. God says this is love. You don't necessarily have to be a jerk to do this. We always see it like it's that dude who's wilding up on cats, you know, in, you know, in small groups, repent, you know. It ain't, why I got to be like that? Why I got to be so aggressive? Why can't it be kind and loving? Why can't it be tearful? So those are the goals, guys. And think of that. <sighs> guys, we try some of this stuff. You know people are going to call us legalistic. You know it. Unloving. You know people are going to call us ungracious. And guess what else? You know sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But here's what the Bible says. Let's be courageous. Let's be a Bible-centered church. Here's the spirit. So you can do all that, E, right? But there has to be a certain spirit, right, Karen? There has to be a certain spirit. You can't just be wilding up, not reading your Bible, talking about, but I'm about to discipline everybody. Right? There has to be a certain spirit to this thing. Jesus is assuming some stuff. He's assuming that you're walking in the power of the spirit. He's assuming that you desire holiness. He's assuming that your mode of operation, your modus operandi is love. It's the assumption. Look what the scriptures say, guys. The spirit of church discipline, I want to propose that I following Discipline must be done by those walking in the spirit and growing in the Lord. Do we have that passage? No. You guys can turn to Galatians six one. Basically, the, the, the posture is like, guess what? You a sinner too, so calm down. Right? It's the whole concept of Matthew 7. You know, not that you don't judge, but hold on. Make sure you look at the plank in your eye. Make sure you understand your sin. Make sure you repenting. Right? Make sure you understand it's only by God's grace that you're living and doing anything. Right? You're not just it to anybody else. You jacked up. You was dead. Made, God made you alive too. And now in that posture, I want you to judge, All right? I want to propose one of the evidences of this posture of walking in the spirit when you're trying to do discipline in our local body. And if you're a visitor, when you go, hopefully and being encouraged not to just sit and, and just let bygones be bygones, but you are courageous in making sure that God is edifying the people, um, that you will be a praying person. The evidence is prayer that you will be a prayerful person, that before you run your mouth, you will pray more. Never forget, I tell this story all the time. Uh, you know, I feel like the Lord has given me the spirit of discernment. And, and I would, um, you know, just basically out of my arrogance, just be, oh, God showed me something, yeah, you know, and scaring cats, right? And a guy that discipled me came to me and was like, E, you know, first, it's a lot of arrogance in that. But the other thing, bro, discernment is meant for prayer. And I'll never forget that. I was basically, I don't even know if I was 20 yet. He said, bro, discernment is meant for prayer. You see something, pray. Ask the Lord to show you now what? Don't go just because God showed you, now you need to tell people. Let's be a praying body. He ain't say don't be courageous and eventually tell him. What are you talking about? Your spirit needs to be right. Discipline must be done in the spirit of love, humility, gentleness, and patience, guys. There's some scripture references there. We got time, especially in our community. We move here. We buy houses. You ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm saying? We got time. Right? It's not some two-week mission trip. Right? I got to tell them now. They're leaving Thursday. No. You got a mortgage, bro. You be here. Right? We can graciously... Get, you know, in this era, this, and especially in the community, um, you know, my man Ted, was, he was bringing a good word uh, the other day, or actually uh, this morning. Just like, so you, you you come from a culture that is not confrontational at all, okay, never says what they think, right, never, t- you hardly tell the truth unless it's to their advantage. That's the posture of our culture, unless you didn't know, okay, right, it's always about your, no. You know, what, what's your upside, right. And then you come into a body where people are going, man, I'm trying to trust God in this, and I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. So can you imagine? I mean, you come into this body, and people trying to speak truth to you, and all of a sudden you thought you was a bond with your wife, or people telling you you treat her bad. That's hard. And that's shocking to the system, Right? So we have to know that in this local body, we all have to get leaders, that, that this body, as by God's grace, we are trying to take God at his word. This stuff is shocking to the system. And so, so people, in order for people not to have heart attacks, we've got to provide more runway and more patience. While we still tell the truth, but we're continually talking the doctrines of grace and caring for people. It has, we have to move toward that. We have to continue to do both. All right, guys? Don't wimp out on me and don't be courageous. Because here's what happens in our body we'll be courageous, be courageous, and, 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 the, and the response will be um, less than pleasing. Okay? And because we don't want to hurt people, we just shut off our prophetic voice. Well, no, you're, that's, you're, not, you're not doing what God's called you to do. I've seen that in mad groups, I've seen that in individuals. You trust God for a little bit, you won't like the results. You shut up. No, 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 no. Stay courageous and figure out your rhythm. But don't stop being a truth teller because God wants us to because it edifies the church and it sanctifies his people. Discipline must be done without bias. The New Testament's is clear that Paul says, I'm not a respecter of persons. That's a hard one. Can we like some people, some people? Some people sin just like us. I like those people. Right? It's those people who do things I would never do. Why could you do that? Right? Well, God says, don't just like the people who like you. No, 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 no. We, we need to be unbiased about this thing. Okay? We need to be, right? You've, we've seen that in the scriptures, right? Right? We, remember in 1 Samuel, Eli's sons and it was his boys, he didn't want to call them out. Right? Remember that? What happened to good old Eli? Yeah, God snuffed him. Right? He got killed. And why? He said, you know what? Because you didn't tell the truth, man. You're a of persons. Those who walk disorderly are to be admonished, warned, and appealed in love. This has to be motivated by love. But God is calling us clearly to, to go there. Um, so I think that was number four. And number five is discipline must be, and this is discipline, discipline. Discipline must have, when you discipline, you must have a readiness to forgive. Now, that one hits home because we can discipline as a local body, but here's a question. If someone says, all right, man, you're right. I, I said, will you forgive me, right? You can't harbor that. You, we, we must be willing to restore people and not, not put spiritual scarlet letters on people, Right? So what does the pattern look like, guys? Practically. Let's talk practically the pattern. (coughs) Here's one example. um, Famous example. Some debates. um, Verse 15, Matthew 18. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the body, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right. It's pretty clear. Uh just want to just want to kind of parse that out a little bit. So first we see we always need to have private confrontation. Right? Private confrontation is does not is not left alone to elders and just the leadership. Private confrontation is assumed by the people of God. Y'all hear me there? All right, you see people in our local body. Again, we're we're not we're not witch hunt. This is not about a witch hunt, right? Now here's the, and I want to make sure that that, that, that Bible's awesome because what the Bible does he tells you something plainly and there's always a balance right and so you go and take this too too far and everybody's walking around so what do I see like that's not the goal the goal is be motivated by grace this is talking about people some of us are caught in sin and we do not want to repent we don't want to change (coughs) private confrontation okay if the person does not respond the scriptures say you need to bring a witness the goal of this is that we're, God's serious about holiness. Do you remember what happened to Achan in the scriptures? And you remember, that? you remember what happened to him? And they was hiding the gold the, the silver? He says, Well, guess what? And the people got like, why isn't God blessing us? This, you know, and he's like, Because you got sin in the camp. What are you talking about? Why are you gonna play me like that? You got sin all up in the camp, talking about why God why I'm not blessing you? Go and find out who's clowning. The father says, Go and find out who's in sin. And they go. what they do? What'd they do? Right? They stoned them, they killed them. Now, don't be going out on burns, hitting people with bricks. All right? That's not the point. The point is that the father wanted to provide a concept for us to get is that holiness is important to Jesus. Right. So we bring you come front. They don't respond. You bring a witness. Um, the goal of the witness, right, is to, is to hopefully win the brother over, to have more people involved in the journey. They still don't respond. Tell it to the church. So, like in our, so in our, in our uh, framework of how we do church government, I talked about a few weeks ago. So you can't, you can't, a person can't be excommunicated because I want them to be excommunicated. I can't, that doesn't even happen in our bylaws. I can't do that. All right? The, basically, uh, the elders, we would go through that journey. And then, actually, the covenant people, we decide if a person is communicated. Which, by the way, shows you how important membership is. Because now the mature people of the body need to be unbiasedly engaging in the matters of what to do with a person who's in sin. You follow me there? You see why church membership matters? <laughs> Because if anybody can just say, well, I think, you know, some dude would come up in here, then we got a fundamental problem on what's going to happen with the church. You follow me? It matters that it's the family deciding family matters. If there's no avail, then sadly the scriptures make it really clear that uh, the recourse is separation from the sinning brother. Yes, yes, yes. If this is reality, yes. I mean, I would say if a person is not, if, if, I, if, if a person comes and I say, oh, I'm sorry. So, so Sis is saying, and I think from a leadership perspective, the failure to follow, uh, well, here's what I would say because there, the, the Bible has arguments of silence too. She says, she said, is a failure to follow this pattern sinful? The, hard, the the reason why I can't totally 100% say I'm convicted that it is is because there's other patterns in the scriptures where you don't get the commentary. In 1 Corinthians 5, the person's in sin, you don't see this beautiful, hey, so first do this. He's like, expel the foul brother. He's sleeping with his mama. <laughs> Period. Right? We ain't, I ain't trying to ask you why. Right? So I don't know what like what the, what the narrative was there, so it could be an argument of silence, but you have three or four instances of that in the New Testament where I don't think we can say, here's a cookie-cutter example, but what we can say is God has provided principles in all of these that we can follow. And the principles is that first, we always try to rebuke in, in private, not in public. We always try to figure something out with the other person before we put things on blast with other people. That's the, that's the principle. Right, right. The principle is that man. It's the concept of witness. Is that okay? Well, he's not listening. Maybe I going to bring someone else that they might can hear. Still trying to keep it private for the sake of the community. Remember, we talked unity. See, here's the thing: we do a lot of things private in our local body. You know why? Because the Bible tells us to. Because we're actually trying to protect you. Everybody thinks, and some of us we could think that we're actually trying to protect us. We're really not. It's really about us understanding how evil Satan is and how gossip, and as soon as someone gets some stuff, start drumming in your mind, and all of a sudden you got dissension. The goal of the privacy, even from scripture, is to protect the saints. And that we bring things in public when it's absolutely necessary for the saints, but also for that brother or sister or family wants to have a family real quick who wants to have a family you put it on blast everything's cool everybody look that's this that's embarrassing we want to make sure it's absolutely needed before we do those things yes sir well we'll do in this local body how do you notify the church if we get to, if we have to get to number three very good we would not do, we would do notifying the church from us as our MAC groups, like our, our small group community, and people in discipleship having a meeting saying, if we're going to begin to think over the process of excommunicating somebody, we talk about it as a family. I don't think we would say that in the sense of excommunicating somebody here necessarily. Well, no, at that point, they've already had meetings with their disciple. They've already had meetings with a the pastor. They've probably already had meetings with an elder because we've done including witnesses, private confrontation, not with me, unless it's a, unless it's a specific issue with me. Yeah. So much as I can, I try and stay out of it. Yeah. Sure. <coughs> <laughs> you, know, the you just read the passage do do Yeah, yeah so, so it's not that you can't find it anymore It's, that it's in clearly in the Bible So now you're like, how do I, rec- how do I rec- reconcile that? Yeah, I, I mean, how, how do you sleep at night If that's your brother your sister At what point will you turn your back on your brother or your sister? So the question is very I think this is a very healthy question Because this is the question that I think all of us struggle with is how, does, how in the world do, is God saying, is he advocating a reality that if someone is still in sin and want to do their own thing, that it's helpful versus to pursue them to kick them out of the covenant community? Isn't it on all of our hearts deep inside? How does that, that pragmatically does not seem to work. The first thing I want to do, though, address that that's our emotional response. Can we, can we all address that? That's real. Okay? And then my role as one of your leaders is to say, but now I want you to look at God's word. So you got your emotional response. you got the scriptures totally being against your emotional response. Absolutely clearly against it. Okay? So now we have to ask the question, How do I live life considering that my way is not God's way? For some reason, God is saying, actually, it's better for me and my glory to keep the the camp holy. And that if people are willingly not desiring to walk in light of what the local covenant communities have said, according to scriptures, the best thing you can do for my glory is to remove them. Here is a reason. So that the scriptures say, so that Satan can get a hand on them, and hopefully God will use that to bring them back into the fold. Even kicking them out, the goal for Jesus is so that they might return. And so God is just basically saying, "Here's the hard thing." God is saying, "I disagree with y'all. I disagree with you, Eric. I'm telling you, this is the way I want you to do life." And this is better. So now we're brought to a juxtaposition, uh, right? Uh, the line has been drawn. Now the question is, do I take God's way or do I take my way? That's, a, that, and that's, that's biblical Christianity and so many other camps as we do life. And so we got to wrestle with that. So I'm okay with us in our MAC groups, in our small group communities, wrestling with how do you practically do that? But don't change the scripture. Don't change what's clear in the scriptures, in Corinthians five, in Corinthians 1, Corinthians six, Matthew eighteen. Um, I mean, I'm giving you loads and loads of scriptures as we walk through this. So, so, so. Let me just affirm you one time, one more time. Says we all struggle with that. And, and my role as your leader is to is to, by God's grace, to give us build a conviction of how to. Have the strength by God's grace when we see things that are cataclysmically different than how we would do things. If a guy says, I do it this way, to change our thinking that's my role, Caitlin, real quick. No. <laughs> kind fight. Of I guess that's all we can think of is fight. To see this person fail or not have God's glory really makes me want to fight harder. Well I read it and it says back off I the top point like, if I was Amen, amen. Woo woo so so <laughs> just tripping. Just tripping. Thank you, sis Karen. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say it's basically them choosing their own way to leave. But i to where God tells you to raise a child in the way that he you know, will go so he can return. And that's basically what Eric was saying. He's going to go, he's going to do what he's going to do. but since his there, he's already been filled with truth. But now it's his choice. God gives us a choice. So. Good word. Seth, so Kirsten? And I, and, yeah, and I want to say two things that, that we, that's what's cool about that is I love what you say. I want, to, I want to try and try. I love the process of Jesus because he makes it about him and not us. I love it. I love that He's like, you know, you can't just try harder. It ain't about more phone calls and all this drama. It's about the Holy Spirit doing something that you cannot do in someone, and that's to build a passion for holiness and righteousness and going, man. I've, I have sorrow with sin like and and our intellectual frameworks and our our, our, our acumen does not do that guys and, and so I love that this forces us to deal with that, so now it leads us to prayer for a holy God to work in their hearts and in addition, I want to encourage you that we don 't dog people you you 're not mean I mean are you mean to unbelievers no you minister, you care for them right you love on them right but at the same time practically for person and out, you don't you don't just like they see you see them and they say hi Eric you go whatever no you don't you don't do that right you, you say hey man and and if he wants to hang out you say hey man love you so much How, hey man have you thought through what the body's saying you keep being there you keep praying you keep making the issue real you love them we we love we we need the love <laughs> okay nice this, good discussion guys let me keep or we're gonna be here and. I know y'all going to be mad at me. So let's keep going. All right. So that's the pattern. It's a lot. It's a principle issue. It's messy. Guys, I'm just trying to... Our posture is that we want to, as a church, just just enjoy the Lord well and do these things in an honorable way. All right. Um, now, do we have the authority to do discipline? All right. So now I'm going to get a little crazy. We're going to get a little controversial. Um, all right. So I want to propose... <laughs> I want to propose... Um, there is, a historic, there is a historic Catholic framework of Matthew 16 uh, that I want, I want to say that I disagree with, okay? And I want to pause and say a couple things first, that Catholics have, been, have, have had like a thousand years or so head start on me, okay, on how to handle doctrine. So they're going to always sound cooler than me, all right? I'm putting it out there. They're smarter than me. They're smarter than all of us. So trust me, I'm not trying to figure out like mine. Like they're going to be like, wow, I never thought of that. That's not what's happening. But I also think that they got it wrong on this one, all right? So, basically, the framework in Matthew 16 is that the papacy, uh, the popes, um, are descended through a line and that God gives Peter the keys and this begins uh, the Catholic Church, okay? In Matthew 16, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm proposing that (coughs) although... We, can, we as Protestants can still give Catholics the understanding that absolutely God gave Peter the keys, that he was the inaugural person who started uh, the New Testament church. I think we can say all that without saying that there's a, a papal succession and that, that the, and that the Catholic church are the ones, but the pope are the ones that have the keys. And here's why. Because I want to propose in Matthew eighteen eighteen, he says the exact same thing to the rest of his disciples. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So you can check out Matthew eighteen eighteen. It's in the context of all. The, so I'm proposing that what he's done is he's giving the keys of the kingdom to the, the, the leadership, to the people of God. Right? And he's saying that you can loose or bind, that you can, uh, you can encourage people, whatever familiar terms used uh, in the first century anyway, so they already got this. And it refers to like either judging matters uh, on the basis of the Bible and saying that because of these matters in the Bible, we are binding you and saying that this is what you need to be doing or we are loosing you. that makes sense? Okay? And so basically, binding and loosing is basically saying people can come into the kingdom or that people are not a part of the kingdom. Okay? So it's an issue of, of the body of Christ providing judgment on people of God and those who are not the people of God. So those are the two arguments. You have the papal succession and you have Protestantism where they say that the keys of the kingdom are actually for the church. And I'm proposing the main reason why we can do church discipline is because God has given each of us the keys to the kingdom. All right, you don't have to agree with that framework, but I think it's thoroughly biblical and I think people need to deal with Matthew 18, 18 to understand why is he saying the exact same language to, uh, to other people that he said to Peter in discussing binding and loosing. Does that make sense, guys? Point being there is I want to propose that this is extremely important. This is a mandate that God has given us as a people of God. All right. Um, all right. So here, when you think of having the keys, here are the main, and then we're going to head home. Here are the main Um, main categories of discipline that we see from Scripture, all right? First, you have the the category of of doctrine. God wants you and I to exercise our keys when we're talking about the concept of pure doctrine. This is absolutely something we don't even try to deal with today. We have gotten so postmodern about our understanding of of the teachings of Jesus. When we try this, especially uh, in our local communities where God is saying, actually, no. There's some some things you're saying are right, and some things you're saying are wrong, and that's important. It's important to have right doctrine, right? And so, pure doctrine. God gives us clear. He says, "But false prophets also arose among the people of Second Peter, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought who bought them, bring upon themselves swift destruction." OK, again, when you think of these people, we think of them, you know, being all like burly and like frothing at the mouth and they're kind of crazy and big old bug eye. And it's not like that. These people look and act just like us. Some of them are us. OK. And God is saying that for whatever reason, people come into the local bodies and they cause ascension, they got their own thoughts and they think it's biblical or not. And the role of church discipline is to purify that thing. Um, the other one is personal, community, uh, purity. So personal and community purity. So doctrinal purity, but also just in our own walks with the Lord, that we're walking with the Lord, like you were saying, and that our community is walking and pursuing Christ. Look what it says. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness <clears throat> and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. I mean, this stuff is all over the place. Uh, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right but to give uh, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. I could have got some bread from you, but I decided not to for even when we were with you. We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him eat. He is talking about people just not working, being idle, being lazy. And he's saying if cats are like that, you need to disregard yourself from them. I mean, now hold up. That seems even more chill than other stuff. Right? See, Paul was on some stuff. Look at this. So he's like, look. For we hear that some among you walk the idleness, not as uh, not busy as work, at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Can't kick it with you. and am warning you, man. You're causing dissension. You're you, you acting crazy, man. I'm just trying to, I want, I want the Holy Spirit to build a conviction. That's on something less. And yet he's still saying the purity of ourselves and the covenant community is of, is of utmost importance for Jesus. Finally, the purity of unity. So he says first, hey, I want you to make sure that your doctrine's tight. Be, be, be processing that stuff. Be in your mad groups, disagreeing with me and figuring out what's, what's right. And then come to me and say, hey, you was talking crazy last week. He said, Hey, I want you to be serious about your, the community and the purity of our personal community. That meant that our community, we're, again, we're not, we don't believe in this perfectionism in the we know we need Jesus. We preach our, the, gospel, the, G, the gospel of Christ to each other daily. We believe the gospel and we be believing the gospel. In that, God wants us to be holy, a holy community and personally holy. And finally, he tells us, He says, Hey, purity of unity. I want to propose that in the Scripture, when you look at the, the, the epistles, there is so much discussion about the unity of the saints and how that displays the character of our divine Savior. It's the most visible expression. One of the most visible expressions of Christ is the unity of the people of God. You say, I want people to see Christ. You pray, Lord, show yourself to the body, to the community. We'll be united. Don't be praying that and dog and cats in the body. Unity, when we stand as one and we say the same things, we lock arms and we're enjoying each other. And we are an expression where people go, I want to be part of that crew. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ with their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. This thing is real. This thing is serious. Look what it says. Titus, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Guys, these aren't the same passages and I'm just highlighting them in different ways. These are are different passages, different epistles. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Guys, this must happen a lot because it's written about a lot. It's not the scare. It's supposed to be on, on watch. And to see that, Jesus sees it seriously. So, just to recap, I'm proposing that we must recover, guys, as a covenant community, and, and allow that to influence even our communities, a grace-motivated reality of church discipline. Okay? And that it's not punishment. That, this, that what we're talking about right now, we think punishment, not Jesus. He thinks glorification. He gets glory when we become more like him. And it's embarrassing when I sin against somebody. I just had to apologize to JD this morning. You know, it's embarrassing. You're like, oh, man. But, man, it's freeing. After you just say, man, I, I shouldn't have said that. Will you, will you forgive me, brother? It's like when he looks at you, yeah, i forgive you. And here we go. We're restored. It's so freeing. Jesus wants us free. Amen. Harboring that, well, he didn't know what I really meant. You know, going off, justifying yourself. That's the trick of Satan. He builds disunity. Discipline is designed to train and restore, guys. That's the whole point. Jesus wants to train us in him. He wants to restore us. He's just trying to, what he says in the scriptures, that good work he's begun in us, he wants to perfect it. That's what he's doing. He's just trying to become, just make good on his promise. And he lets us partake in that journey. So what are we supposed to be doing? Uh, what does church discipline do? It brings glory to God and has the testimony of the flock. Uh, it uh, produces a healthy faith. I'm sorry. It restores, heals, and builds up uh, sinning believers. <coughs> produces a healthy faith, one sound in doctrine. Uh, to win a soul to Christ if a sinning person is only professing Christian right? We win people to Jesus. We silence false teachers and their influence in the church. It does a lot of stuff, right? To set an example for the rest of the body, and promote godly fear and to protect the church against destructive consequences that occur when churches fail to carry out church discipline. That's why we want to be a body who biblically says we engage in church discipline um, all by God's grace. Okay? Think about it. <clears throat> Process it. Um, if you're not, uh, if you're in this covenant community, if you're in this community and you're wanting to be plugged in, some of you are in that process right now. Some of you are looking at homes. We want to ask you to really consider this body as we try to be an expression to Jesus of Christ, expression of grace, motivation, um, and biblical, um, uh, centrality guys. We would love for you to, uh, connect with us and walk with us. <coughs> want to encourage us. I know this church discipline thing is, it's a, it's a focused topic, but it means tons for us in our expression to the community. So consider those questions, dialogue about them, And what I want to do now is we're going to have a time of a, you have a question, man? Good question. You know what? And, and the reality is, I have some insight, just like a lot of our wise people. I definitely don't have the answer, uh, but I, but I, what I do want to do, I want my my answer to be true north, and with with the scriptures being that that, that compass. So I want to see what God has made clear, and we know He's made clear some things that are really hard to our to our natural inclinations. And I want to I first make sure I'm diving and, and lamenting the fact, fact that I have my own presuppositions of what I think discipline should look like and what I think covenant community should look like. And I want to lament that and spend a lot of time making sure that I'm replacing those lies of truth before I try and assess how to do discipline. I that's, a, that's one thing that as, as your pastor, I can encourage you before you start saying, and now here's what we need to do. I think you need to really pause and say, what lies am I believing And spend a lot of time asking Jesus to give you a passion for his truth over your lies. Then we can now dialogue about how to practically express something that's really hard and difficult. As I said in the beginning, difficult to practice, difficult subject, but clearly biblical.